The ACC is in a legal war with the top athletic school in the conference. The White Sox want a new home, and we're diving into the world of college basketball. It's Friday, January 19th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. ACC has filed an injunction to exclude Florida State University from handling conference affairs. Joining me now to discuss and making her podcast debut is Margaret Fleming, front office sports breaking news reporter. Welcome, Margaret. Thanks for having me, Owen. Yeah, great to have you on. Uh, Just because it's your your first time on the show, let's get to know you a little bit. How would you find yourself uh, at front office sports? Yeah, I came from Business Insider. I was doing a fellowship there covering the business of sports media. So that looked like name, image, and likeness in college sports, covering women's sports, sports betting, startups, and VCs, and just digging into the money in the sports media industry. Um, And then this popped up, and I'm so excited to be here. Got a lot to learn, but excited to do it. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, And do you have any, you know, particular sports team leanings? Are there like one or two teams that are like the ones that have too much influence over your, your happiness and well-being? Oh, absolutely. Um, Definitely over my happiness and well-being. I am a lifelong Chicago Bulls and Chicago White Sox fan. um, And neither of those two teams are really making it happen right now. So (laughs) that's a little tough. Um, But And you're probably uh, too young to have like, you know, enjoyed the crazy 90s dominance of the Bulls, right? Oh, yeah, I was not alive for that. Um, Was not alive for that. I Got. To, I do remember a little bit when the Sox won the World Series. That was really exciting. And then I grew up with all the Blackhawks, um, you know, dynasty happening. So that was really, really fun. Um, and of course, we got a, a World Series in there too from the wrong side of town. So uh, it all, it all happened. It was very fun. But um, would love for something to happen uh, lately. But yeah, also big Northwestern fan. That's where I went. So go Cats. Um, let's get to the, the news of the day. So um, the ACC and the FSU are are fighting one another. Um, so the, would we say this all dates back to um, FSU getting left out of the college football playoff? Um, and, you know, obviously there had been some discontent before then, but is that like the big triggering event for this most recent wave? Yeah, I would say so. This has definitely been building for a bit. Um, just FSU in terms of football not having the same strength of schedule as uh, schools like you know powerhouses and other conferences, um, and then just FSU is a little upset about how uh, the conference has handled media rights and how it's handled conference realignment, um, and that all is now playing out in the legal system. So that's exciting. Yeah, and so. What is the ACC trying to do with this most recent injunction that it's filed? The most recent one is that it wants to keep FSU out of things that FSU historically as a member of the conference has been able to do, just like every other school, um, handling conference proceedings and matters and things like that, having the president be involved in ACC decisions. The conference is saying they don't want FSU to have a say in that because right now they're having this battle um, legally. So it's been building for a while and going back and forth um, for about the last month. Both parties have filed, um, but then this was kind of an updated complaint 
Um, originally, there were just two complaints. Now there's six. And this is kind of part of the deal. Right. And so it's putting the ACC in sort of an awkward position where they're saying that obviously they want to keep Florida State in the conference. Um, and there's clearly rumblings that they are looking at departing. At the same time, they don't want FSU to be part of their um, their their ability to make decisions as a a school in the conference. Um, do we have any sense of kind of where this could all be leading, or is, are they just going to keep you know uh, attacking each other in court for the time being? It's a good question. It's a good question, and I don't myself know the answer. I think that there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake here. Um, and FSU doesn't want to pay that. And the ACC doesn't want what it has upheld for years with its member institutions to fall apart. Um, and, you know, thinks it has a good deal with, with ESPN that it would like to not look bad to ESPN. I guess that's also maybe part of it too. So I really don't know where this is heading. Um, if it'll just be kind of a cat fight back and forth for a while or, yeah, I really don't know. But I think we'll see it continue to play out, um, especially as some of this conference realignment starts happening and more schools come into play. I wouldn't think that FSU would be too happy to be left out of the decision making of some of that. So uh, we'll see if they reach an agreement on specifically this part that's happened this week. And just on that hundreds of millions piece of it you mentioned, that refers to F the fee FSU might have to pay if they did leave the ACC but before his contract is up. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. It's called a grant of rights. And basically that's saying that the conference owns the media rights um, rather than the school. And FSU has agreed to that several times now. And that's what the ACC is saying um, that FSU's agreed to this. So they should uphold it and they're breaching it uh, by trying to get out. Um, meanwhile, FSU is saying that's unfair. And so they would have to pay hundreds of millions and then to, to get out of those rights. But then also on top of that, there would be an exit fee. So it would just cost, you know, so much money for FSU to leave, um, which they're saying is unfair. And the ACC is saying you knew about this. So there's quite a back and forth going on. All right. Well, we'll be watching this one unfold. Margaret Fleming, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Here's a weird one. Last summer, soccer player Jordan Henderson went from Liverpool to Saudi pro league team El Atifak, and he was making $440,000 a week. But he wasn't actually getting paid. It seems he was deferring the payments until he could receive them without paying taxes in the UK, which presumably would have worked out had he stayed in Saudi Arabia for his full three-year contract. But now, Henderson is leaving Saudi Arabia to go to Ajax, a team in the top Dutch league, after only six months, and the Telegraph is reporting that he might not ever get paid for his time in Saudi Arabia, and if he does, he could be looking at millions in taxes in the UK. So why is he leaving? The Daily Mail reported last week that he and his wife were not happy there, and they weren't alone in feeling that way. Roberto Firmino, who also left Liverpool for Saudi Arabia on a deal worth $63 million over three years, reportedly also wants out. They don't like the heat, they don't like the relatively little fan support they get there, and they don't like the way women are treated. Turns out money only gets you so far, and also that you should just pay your taxes. The Chicago White Sox want a new stadium, and they want it in Chicago's South Loop neighborhood. That's about as far north as they can get while still being on the south side. It would also put them much closer to a bunch of train lines and the city's more touristy areas. There are discussions with the city on making this happen. 
The team's lease at guaranteed rate field runs through 2029, and if they want a new stadium by 2030, they need wheels to start turning now. There are two big, partly related questions on this. The first is if they will seek public funding for the stadium. A new, better located stadium that just shows up is a pretty easy sell, but not so much if the public is asked to subsidize a billionaire to make it happen. That relates to the second question, which is how a White Sox project will impact the Chicago Bears and to a lesser extent the Chicago Fire. The MLS team currently plays at the NFL stadium, Soldier Field, but the Bears seem likely to migrate to Arlington Heights, a suburb northwest of the city where they've already bought land. Chicago is still hoping to keep the Bears, but that would require significant public funds, and that could sap the will to do the White Sox any favors. If the Bears do leave, a new White Sox stadium could be a natural landing place for the fire. Speaking of disappointing American League teams named after their Sox, Tom Warner, the chairman of Boston Red Sox owner Fenway Sports Group, set the tone in November by saying that the team would be going, quote, full throttle this offseason. Two months later, he is dialing that one back. Werner told Mass Live this week that, quote, maybe that wasn't the most artful way of saying what I wanted to say. He elaborated that he really meant that they were going to pursue lots of different avenues to improve their team, which is not what full throttle means. Full throttle is not an ambiguous statement, and coming from an owner, people assumed he meant that the team was going to spend some serious money. The Red Sox have finished last in the AL East in three of the four seasons since they traded superstar Mookie Betts for a couple of prospects and some salary relief, and they have done little to change their outlook this offseason. Maybe don't tell your fans that you're going full throttle when the actual plan is to stay in second gear. Up next, I spoke to Sports Illustrated writer Kevin Sweeney. The past year has seen landscape-altering changes in college sports, and we're now getting a look at what conference realignment, NIL, and the transfer portal mean for college basketball. We talked about all that and plenty more, and that's coming up next. I'm joined now by Kevin Sweeney, covers college basketball for Sports Illustrated. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, great to have you. So we've seen so much turmoil in the world of college sports this year, this season. Um, Now that the college basketball season is underway, does it feel different in some way or is it more providing a sense of normalcy amid everything else? I think a bit of normalcy. I I think, you know, particularly for some of the schools that are in flux, I think it's been hard. You know, I think, you know, the the quote unquote pack two, if you will. I mean, I I think those schools in particular have kind of felt the, you know, longer term instability of like what's looming ahead. Uh, And so the fact that they can just attack the season and try to win games, I mean, Washington state just had an incredible win over Arizona the other day. And, um, you know, I think those are, those are the types of things that remind everyone who works in college athletics, why they do what they do. Right. I think that's, you know, different football or anything else, but uh, you know, there's so much that everyone has been dealing with for the last year or two. And I think when you get to you know, experience a court storm, experience, you know, the upsets, and, and it really has been a very chaotic season in terms of upsets and, you know, top 10 teams going down, you know, rankings moving very quickly. Uh, I think it's a good reminder of why we do what we do and when the ball actually tips up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, speaking of of the Pac-2, um, previously the Pac-12, what is... How is that affecting things? You know, this year, sir. I mean, this year it's a distraction, but um, beyond, it's uh, you know, what's that going to mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's interesting because there's a stronger quote unquote mid-major conference out west in basketball than football, right? The Mountain West has been tremendous in college basketball the last couple of years. They've gotten 
four bids to the NCAA tournament each of the past two years. This year, they think they could get as many as six. I think four or five is probably more realistic, but you know, it's at least possible that it could be all the way at, at six out of 11 teams in the league. So um, kind of a new emerging power struggle for what basketball means out West. I mean, I think, you know, there's been so much conversation in, on the football side of, oh, here's the death of, of West Coast football, right? And I think in basketball, we don't necessarily have that because the Mountain West has been so good. Obviously, San Diego State went to the, uh, to the championship game last year. And there's multiple teams uh, in the Mountain West this year that have the chance to at least make like a Sweet 16 run. Um, so that league's been really good. I, I do think it hurts, you know, just, just bigger picture not to have UCLA playing Arizona, not you know, to have those types of rivalries. Um, but I, I do think at the end of the day, there is a bit of a stronger West Coast, uh, you know, foothold uh, in, in basketball than football right now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And right. So many of these changes are, are driven by football because that's where the most money is. Um, do you have a sense of whether college basketball is pulling any weight here in terms of where teams fall in their conferences and, you know, who, who's leaving and going because there's still, you know, turmoil in, uh, in all this kind of the ACC is kind of the next, next one we're all kind of looking at to see what happens there. So yeah, do you still feel like it's just college football is throwing everything around or is college basketball also pulling some weight here? I think it pulls some weight. I think obviously football drives the bus because it's so much of the revenue. But I do think particularly the Big 12 ha- has approached it pretty aggressively in, in valuing the men's basketball product, valuing the basketball product in general, but particularly men's basketball, um, and, and feeling like, hey, if we can build a really strong basketball conference, uh, we're going to have something to sell. And, and eventually, I mean, that, then this has been you know, obviously talked about by a lot of people in the industry. I, I wouldn't consider myself the, the foremost insider on this, but you know, there has been a lot of conversations from Brett Yormark, their commissioner, of can we eventually split off TV rights and sell basketball separate from football? And you know, the big move that would come along with that is Gonzaga to the Big 12. That has been discussed. It's been reported that there's been some uh, maneuverings there between uh, Brett Yormark and the Gonzaga administration. It hasn't happened yet. I do think if you ask people around college basketball, there is a feeling that that will happen uh, at some point. Um, but, you know, obviously not a guarantee. And, and if that does, it would be one of the first realignment moves really since the formation of the new big East that is so driven by college basketball. Uh, and I think that would be really exciting. I mean, obviously it would be, it would, I think lead to some pretty substantial changes in how uh, the college sports business operates, uh, especially if, you know, if it did lead to breaking off and selling TV inventory separately. Um, but it, I mean, I, w- I would, you know, it, it is certainly something that is on the minds of a lot of administrators right now when you look around the, the sport of college basketball. And if Gonzaga leaves the the West Coast Conference, is that um, could that trickle you know, or, or trigger some kind of you know trickle down effect where other schools say, well, if Gonzaga's out, then I'm going to look for for the best deal that I can, and we see sort of a, another version of what happened with the Pac-12, or is this just a different story? I think probably different story. Um, you know, mostly because I don't think the West Coast Conference schools have a ton of value outside of maybe St. Mary. St. Mary's would have some pull, maybe they could go swing into the Mountain West. You know, they're not foot, not a football school, so that would complicate things a little bit. But um, you know, I think could could strengthen their basketball. There's a lot of like longer term questions people will ask of, oh, you know, if if the Big Twelve can assert itself in basketball, would that cause the Big East to make moves? And would you know what what types of 
you know, realistically, so much of this is reactionary, right? Like, like trying to, I guess, match vibes, if you will, right? Like, like project strength. I could see, you know, maybe Gonzaga going to a power conference that isn't the Big East, causing the Big East to want to project strength or the Mountain West want to project strength. But I don't think it would cause quite the same domino effect as, as some of the other moves we've seen in previous years. Yeah. And the other you know, big piece of this where we're seeing huge effects in the college football world, and I'm curious what you're seeing in college basketball, is NIL. Um, and right now we have the situation where, you know, collectives – are you know NIL collectives at schools are you know getting top players and getting them you know upwards of a million dollars in football? Uh, what's the situation in basketball? Is it anything anything along those lines? Yeah, it's it's lower dollar figure, um, with the exception of a few very you know elite players. Uh, I, I think traditionally the numbers you hear from people around the industry you know with, with high level transfers is there's a lot of kids in like the 200 to 400 thousand dollar range and that's the number that gets promised right no one knows really how much money actually sees a kid's pocket um but you know those are the types of numbers for high-end transfers and then there's a few elite guys who maybe can can move the needle beyond that um it's, it's certainly had a big impact on on the portal it's it's hurt you know because Division One basketball is, you know, everyone competing for the same trophy, 362 teams, I think the impact of guys being bought up, right? Like, you know, low, low and mid-major players, you know, being poached and, in, you know, poached, coached into the portal and, hey, you know, here, like, spent, you know, we'll give you X amount of money to come play at the highest level. Uh, I think that has been certainly more acute in basketball. Um, it's certainly been something that has frustrated a lot of mid-major schools, but major schools are also getting in on the party. I mean, I, I think you look around, I mean, there are a lot of schools, even in one bid leagues that are, are spending NIL money on players and doing it uh, to try to retain top players, but also to, to recruit a little bit. Um, and, and you see, I mean, you see schools spending six figures on NIL, maybe not on one individual player, but across their roster, uh, which is pretty interesting and exciting. So um, yeah, I mean, it's been uh, very chaotic. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, when you when you talk to coaches, I think there's a lot of frustration about the lack of clarity in, in the process. It's not like professional sports where you kind of have a sense of what people's salary caps are and what they can spend and, and what's real and what's not. Um, and that certainly is very similar to football. Uh, but I, I think the, the, maybe the one thing that, that makes basketball a little bit easier is that the rosters are a little bit smaller. You know, you're, you're operating on a bit of smaller scale. You're, you're looking at 13 scholarship players, realistically eight or nine rotation players. You're going to go on the portal in the spring year to try to find three, four, five guys in most cases. Whereas in football, you're building an entire class. That's a lot harder. It's a lot more, a lot more difficult to manage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And is that, I mean, is that making the powerhouses more powerful? Is is there a chance that you know that that upheaval could you know scramble things somewhat and leave some room open for some schools that we're not used to you know thinking of you know in that top tier to break in there how is it affecting you know what could happen on the court yeah I, I think theoretically it's helped the the biggest programs in practice I don't think it has been as uh substantial as you would have realized and I don't know if that's just luck early on and and it'll balance out later or, or if this is the new normal where there's just more talent out there there's so much noise in the data right now because you have the portal you have NIL you have the COVID year still impacting things quite a bit in basketball um you know, all those things just make it really challenging to really sift through. You've also, you know, even coaching retirements, some of the biggest name coaches in the sport moving on in the last couple of years. I just think it's been hard to really, you know, parse through what's driving what has been a very, uh, you know, a, a, a time full of parity in college basketball. Um, 
I, I will say, I think you notice in the SEC and the Big 12 in particular, those rosters just being deeper and more proven than ever before because of the portal. Um, the, those schools have been, I think, the most aggressive with NIL and collectives. And I think part of that's, you know, they have infrastructure in place for football. Those teams, when you look at their rosters, they're the most portal driven. They're the oldest. And on paper, in the preseason, they look the most talented. In practice, a lot of those teams have had struggles early on, mashing pieces together. I think Arkansas is a good example of that this year. You know, picked in the top 20. They've been you know, pretty poor, one of the worst teams in the SEC uh, so far. Uh, but you know, from a roster building standpoint, I, I think a lot of those schools down south in particular have, have just been in a better place in terms of being able to acquire talent. Yeah, and speaking of just what's what's going on on the court, what's what's the most intriguing part of this season for you? Big broad open question about a zillion schools, but you know, let me take that wherever you want. Yeah, look, I, I think the Purdue storyline is just so fascinating to me, right? I mean, coming off of uh, a loss, probably even more embarrassing than Virginia's loss to UMBC. Um, you know, every you know the, the shortest team in Division One beat the team with the seventh before National Player of the Year, and now they run it all back. They look better in every way than they were a year ago but no one will take them fully seriously until they do the thing in March. And to me, that's just such like an interesting psychological place for, for, for a program to be. And it's, I think it's even more interesting because of who Matt Painter is, you know, obviously he is, he, I've gotten time chance to spend a little bit of time with, with Matt, you know, this, this summer and in the fall talking to him, like he is the most introspective coach I've ever been around. And, and one of the most humble, like he I think just has a great perspective and, and watching him try to navigate a year where there is so much pressure and nothing matters except for winning a championship and everything is lined up to win one, except for these March woes. I mean, it is just, it is a great storyline that just will continue to hover until, until we tip, you know, until we get selection Sunday and then, then the real work starts for, for Purdue. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I know you're, you're mostly focused on the men's side, but I have to ask, do you think Caitlin Clark is the biggest star right now in college basketball? I think she's the most recognizable, probably. Uh, you know, it's it's cool to to see her grow. Uh, obviously, it was a big deal even from her freshman year. Uh, but you know, the consistent you know, it feels like every time she's on the floor, she does something that you know is, goes viral, and that's because she's as skilled and as talented as any anyone in in men's or women's college basketball. She's been awesome. And look, I, I think there's there's been some cool things to see, even just like to 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 see Iowa, Iowa women's basketball on a Saturday in primetime on Fox like that, that means something. And um, I, I think most people in college in, in men's college basketball are very, very supportive of it and love it. And, and think it's, it's awesome to see what she has brought and, and appreciate her for what she is. Like, I don't think there's a competition between the two. Like we, like both sports can thrive. They don't even play their championships or final fours on the same day. Right. Like I, as a men's college basketball fan, I love being at the final four and watching the women's final four. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of us media members do too. Coaches do. Um, it's, it's really, really cool what, what she has done to, to bring attention to a sport that's really, really entertaining. And it's not, not just her, obviously, but, but, you know, statistically what she does every night and some of the shots that she makes and the plays that she, she's able to create are, are just pretty magical. Yeah. And how would you say the, the rise of the women's game has, you know, just kind of shaped the whole landscape um, you know, it, I think, you know, last, last March Madness, I th- the, the women's tournament was getting ratings comparable and sometimes above that of, of the men's games. And, you know, the, the, the Clark Angel Reese rivalry really, really fueled that. But, but now I think people are paying attention and I'm just wondering if, if you feel like it's going, 
the women's game is going to start pulling more weight in terms of just, you know, stuff like conference realignment and NIL, but also just in terms of the, the prominence of, of, you know, college basketball generally. Yeah. Like, I think it's, I think it's difficult. I think the thing that has always been hard for men's basketball, and I think will probably be hard for women's basketball too, as it grows is like, how do you, how do you move the needle before right around this time of year? Right. Like there's so much going on in the sports calendar, you know, NFL end of regular season, college football, bowl games and playoffs, you know, NBA season, Christmas day is big for that. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I, I people, people joke about it all the time, like big men's college basketball's biggest day until like February 1st is usually like Wednesday before Thanksgiving at 5 p.m. when the Maui Invitational Championships going on, which is an awesome game and it's so much fun. But like, that's just how hard it is to move the needle. And I think women's basketball will probably run into that. And look, if we get to a point where, where the conversation is, why can't we get people to care about you know, women's basketball over the NBA? Like that means we've, we've done something, right? Or, or over at NFL playoffs, it means we've, we've accomplished something. So uh, yeah, like I, I think it's hard for it to be a 12, 12 month sport. Uh, I think the one advantage women's basketball has over men's is that um, players are a lot more recognizable. They stay longer year to year. Um, someone like Caitlin Clark would be you know, the number one overall pick in the, the first draft she'd be eligible for, which in college men's college basketball would be, you know, after a freshman year and women's college basketball, it's, you know, realistically, it's probably after her senior year. And so, um, you know, I think that has helped the, the women's sport and, and makes it a little easier for fans to keep up. But Look, I mean, the more madness, the better. And when we get to March, to, to have high-level hoop is is great. And certainly the women's tournament has proven itself to be a really good product. All right. Yeah, we'll I'll leave it on the more madness, the better. Thank Kevin Sweeney, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, sir. That's it for today. Subscribe and share an episode with a friend. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend. We will see you on Monday.